This is the Hunt Quietly podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Ken, Ken Madsen <clears throat> coming at us from New Hampshire. There we go. Um, by way of Nashville, right? I'm here. Can how you hear you, me? How are you doing tonight? I'm very well, thank you. So you live in, in Nashville. What are you doing in New Hampshire? So my wife's from New Hampshire, and uh, we're up here. It's her father's 80th birthday. So Oh, wow. This uh, I'm, I'm in Michigan this week with my with my 82-year-old mother hanging out in my childhood home. Um, right now I'm out on the porch overlooking the lake that I grew up on. You might hear some like ambient background noise of children playing in the water, which is, I think it's kind of apropos because I think of them as who the future of hunting is getting destroyed for by all the <laughs> over exploitation in commercialization and media so you know it'll maybe hopefully it'll tug at the heartstrings of the listener and try to protect what we have may end up hearing a few kids here too we've got five running around three of which are mine so are you guys having a big old party it's a surprise party so i'd like to keep it down a little oh okay okay all right he just thinks you're there for to hang out and, and maybe have a piece of birthday cake, but he doesn't know that there's going to be a big old freaking bash. He does not know. Um, and we're dropping my daughter off, my 10-year-old daughter off the camp in New Hampshire. Okay. So. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like your audio is a little low. Like, okay. Yeah. Anything How about you now? Bet that's better for sure. How about now? That's that's good. That's good. Um, so we became acquainted through email. Uh, you, you you emailed me, and you were you were uncomfortable with some of my stances on things, and that led to a discussion. Uh, you, it seems like are in the process of arriving at a settled position on certain things in hunting. Yeah. And uh, I was intrigued by your story because you're a rather new hunter. And you came, got into hunting because, uh, you came into hunting because of, uh, you, you got inspired by listening to the Joe Rogan experience. Is that right? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. 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 I, I have had a lot of discussions with hunting celebrities and about the role of media in getting people to hunt and into hunting and because I'm concerned about crowding. I have a hard time getting people that work in the hunting sphere to even like concretely admit that crowding is a problem and and 
inability to draw tags is a problem and access getting locked up uh, due to people getting more and more people getting motivated to hunt and buy up exclusive access for themselves is a problem. And I can't even get that far most of the time when I'm talking to influencers to admit that these are problems, let alone get them to admit that they cause these issues, that they're chief cause of uh, the lifestyle that myself and a lot of other people that grew up hunting um, that it's being diminished and that, that they're a root cause of it. And it's, so it's, you know, to me, you're a data point. I mean, you're much more to me than a data point can. Your story is a data point that shows that yes. And I think, I think that this is rampant that all the media, whether you want more hunters or not, I think if we could just at least agree on the premise that media is playing a role in bringing people into hunting. So you are demonstrative of that. So that's, I just want to put that in as a placeholder. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the fact that you got brought in by Joe Rogan is, I mean, in a way to me, it's, it's, it's comical because I mean, he, to me, he's the, I'm a Joe Rogan. I'm a Joe Rogan sycophant. I'm a huge fan, but like, to me, you know what an idiot savant is? I do. Yeah. So that's, tell me if I got this right. An idiot savant is somebody that can't do anything right. Except one thing. Right. Yeah. So I think he's a, I don't know, a savant idiot. Like he can do (laughs) everything great except he's terrible for hunting, you know? Uh, I don't know if he's, he's, and I don't know if he's a good hunter or not. I don't know that he's ever hunted. He just goes with people. He goes out hunting with people that know what they're doing because, you know, he's somebody that people take hunting when they're trying to become more famous. And now in the last several years, as near as I can tell, all he does is go on, I call them Disneyland hunts where you, 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 you go like pay 15, 20 grand. Maybe he doesn't have to pay a dime because he's free advertising uh, and go hunt half tame elk on private ranches. Uh, So it's, it's funny that to me that he's attracting all these people into hunting and changing the hunting landscape landscape for traditional public land land hunters in a dramatic way, even though he, that's not what he does. Right. He, he, what he, he is in direct opposition. He's got so many fanboys in the hunting sphere, which I, I don't understand, but he's in direct opposition to everything I care about as a hunter. He is a pay to play hunter that, uh, has an outsized role on people's decisions to hunt. Uh, even though I don't even consider pay to play to be a valid, I don't know. I don't think of it as hunting. I, so anyway, that's interesting to me. 
Oh. Yeah, well, it was also the way that it was really presented to me because I had been exposed to hunting in a certain, I guess I should go with the original kind of my life story of how I didn't have anyone in my family who hunted. Yeah, anymore. let's get into that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I grew up in a, in a small town in Iowa. Are there big towns in Iowa? Not really. But I grew up in one of the what smaller is, towns. This is the biggest town in Iowa. Des Moines. Okay. And then next would be Cedar Rapids. And then, you know, if you count Quad Cities as one, then that would be probably the second biggest. But okay, can't do that. Those are individual. Um, yeah, but I mean, I grew up in an agricultural community. Um, a lot of people hunted where I was from, but it wasn't really talked about. And none of my friends hunted. Uh, or I should say very few of my friends hunted. Um, no one in my family owned guns. Um, and, you know, I was told at a very early age, like, game meat is, you, you can't eat it. It's just doesn't taste good. We eat beef, corn-fed beef, corn-fed pork, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what was served. And um, no one was ever really talking about eating game meat. When I was growing up, I grew up in you know, the eighties graduated high school in 96. Um, and I think, I, I think now looking back, having experienced this, having met other people, having met other hunters, I think it's because a lot of people were eating or hunting for sustenance. And so it wasn't something that they talked about. Oh, um, the people in your community that did hunt, they hunted because they, they needed the meat. I think so. Yeah. Because it was never say, talked about. I often say that it, hunting for the food is a losing proposition, but I should really be more careful about that. Like I said, you'd, <laughs> you'd buy more food if you took the money you spent on hunting gear and just went and directly bought, spent it on food. But there are, I mean, in an agricultural community like that, where it's six or eight bucks for a deer tag and you only have to go out your back door to exactly, yeah. the road, then it can make sense. So, yeah. And so, you know, then I ended up going to college, you know, was in places where I wasn't exposed to hunting at all. And, you know, it's, you've talked a lot about hunting television and, uh, you know, hunting television to me was absolutely not about anything I was interested in. You know, mm-hmm. the guys just getting absolutely so excited about, I mean, you've seen it like this celebration it yeah, just wasn't something the, that really appealed to me. Right. The, the, and um, ma- the major stoke after uh, yeah. shooting a high wire fence, freaking deer. Or, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So that was absolutely not appealing, but then you, you and I probably, there's a little daylight between us there. Probably. Cause when I shoot something, I get freaking majorly stoked. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah. That's, yeah. Teach their own. But I know that I know I gathered from our discussions that for you, it's a very, it's a very food-based, culinarily-based enterprise for you. Absolutely. And yeah, so, I mean, I'm not quite sure where I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, but, you know, for me, wanting to hunt really started in the kitchen and wanting to get the fresh, freshest ingredients that I possibly could. You know, so I was going to, in Nashville, I was going to, um, you know, a butcher that was locally sourcing pork, beef, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, trying to just get the freshest, highest quality meats that I could. 
Um, and then my wife, that same butcher had a hog butchering class and I had worked on a hog farm when I was a kid in Iowa. And so any chance I get to ruin a hog's day, I'm going to do it after working, after working in, on a hog farm. And so I took that and was, you, you didn't do, develop a, a love for hogs. Not at all. Okay. No. Um, hardest job I've ever had was working in hog confinement. What, um, what were your responsibilities? Just power washing hog crates okay. essentially. And then we would move, you know, uh, piglets from, you know, the furrowing pen. We moved a lot of pigs from, you know, stage to stage. Hog confinements, you're probably familiar with hog confinement. Yeah, I, I've, I've been around a few smaller ones. Uh, it doesn't sound like you garnered any butchering bona fides when you were working there. Zero. Ergo, your enrollment in this class. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was something to sort of further my skills in the kitchen. Ultimately, mm-hmm. just something I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe a year after that, um, you know, hunting was introduced to me by Joe Rogan, his podcast, and talking about hunting in a way that was just completely different. I'd never heard hunting talked about like that my entire life. And I was really fascinated by it and then started to look more and more and more at, you know, um, different people that were having a completely different conversation about hunting than I'd ever heard. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I had actually worked. So I work in the entertainment business, unfortunately. <clears throat> you don't but, like um, it. I mean, it's, fuck, it's great. Um, it's just, so why, unfortunately, I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's just, a, it's just like, a job. I like entertainment. I don't like hunting. <laughs> I mean, obviously do not like hunting entertainment, but I like entertainment. Um, yeah, but I was, I was, um, so I work in music and, and had two, uh, two different shows that I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty involved in, in the development of those hunting shows. Um, not okay. necessarily like this might, I know what you're getting at from your emails, but this might get a little confusing. Like how, what does music have to do with hunting shows? So, so yeah, well, I mean, so I was representing artists, musicians, so singers, and uh, those, there were two musicians that I worked with who had their own hunting shows separately, completely Are separate from one another. So a very similar manager. Okay. Yeah. And I also work in music dis- distribution, but yeah. Um, so I was seeing sort of up close the hunting you, industry. You think you could get people to listen to my podcast? <laughs> Oh, I, I, I've got like five or six things you could do and absolutely boost it. But it's actually oh, really, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> super easy. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk, we're gonna have to talk after the we get reco- done recording this. Cause... Yeah, I think it's doing all right though. Ah, as near as I could tell, twenty, thirty, forty, some days, you know. But I want it to get, I want it to grow slow because. I'm still trying to get my sea legs, you know. I don't want to, people to listen to it when I'm still shaky and just write me off. Yeah. Get a couple fights under your belt and then Yeah. 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 And maybe I'll never have a penchant for it, you know, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. At the end of the day, it's all about the message, man. It really No, is. absolutely. 
So uh, we got some t- stuff to talk about. So keep going. I want to hear about the shows. Yeah, I mean, so the shows sort of had, I mean, both of them were sort of were sort of similar ideas, which centered around this artist touring. And then while they were on tour in the middle of their busy music careers, they would take the time to go out and hunt, you know, wherever they were. On some and, uh, on some public land, no doubt that they some hunts would be public land, oh, but really? for the most part, for the most part, it was going to be private land. It was going to be outfitters. It was going to be, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get some, we're gonna get you on a specific animal, et cetera, et cetera, with a name and every a named buck. They might be, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's not really my thing, you know, but as part of my job. Um, you know, having to do certain different things for those shows. I mean, I had a, I had a large exposure, significant exposure to the hunting industry. Now, was this before you started hunting? Yes. And it was interesting because I started to get curious about hunting just because I was around it. I was going to SHOT Show. I was going to ATA. Oh, I was doing all these things. Shows you were doing all that? Oh, yeah. But that's not what grabbed you. Well, not really. Uh-huh. But I would start to get interested in it. And I said, hey, maybe I should do this. And so I'd ask, you know, the people that were around me, hey, can I go hunting? And they're like, absolutely. And then hunting season would come around. I'd be like, can I get out on one of these hunts? And they're like, uh-uh. next one. Yeah. Always the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was just be like you had a bit of an interest when you're doing this with the shows but it wasn't what like really made you um excited about getting into it correct uh anything you can anything that you could intimate that would be of interest to the listenership about what you learned through that experience so you've talked a lot about um sponsors and how the hunting industry how how shows are really driven by sponsorship dollars no sponsorship dollars are always some hunting product mm-hmm. you've talked about that at length and you're 100 you're 100 right one of the things that i think is valuable to know is how hunting television when you're talking about outdoor channel pursuit sportsmen's anything like that what's those are pursuit channel I don't oh, even know if it exists third? anymore. Oh, that was a hunting. Channel. It may have been, it might've been bought up or maybe it went to streaming. I really, I don't watch any of those channels anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that those are set up is they're paid to play. So you go and you buy airtime, which is a specific fee. And then you've got to pay for your production. Oh, this is interesting. I had no idea. You got to pay for your hunts. Yeah. For the most part, Outdoor Channel typically is not funding these shows. They're oh. selling air, they're selling air, airtime. And then there's an average, and then there's a revenue split on airtime. Oh, okay. So they'll sell you the 13 episodes for that season, which they're going to rerun however many times, 50 some odd times. And then you're given a specific amount of airtime that you can then sell off to your sponsors. That's why you see all these guys at ATA. That's why you see all these guys at SHOT Show because they're going around talking to these camouflage patterns. Those are usually like really big sponsors. Those You got to go land your title sponsor. 
your title sponsor is essentially going to pay for your airtime. And then you've got all these different categories. So you've got your firearms, you've got your archery equipment, you've got your ammunition, you've got, you know, your, (laughs) your, 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 your sense, you've got your, you know, whatever it is. So at so SHOT Show, it'd be a, a typical transaction would be uh, a, somebody that has a little hunting show and is buying airtime goes up to the booth of some gear manufacturer and says, hey, how about... So you could do that if you wanted to. If you wanted to start your own hunting show, that's what you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get nowhere in that situation. You've got to know somebody that's already sort of in the industry and then you would have to get meetings set up. But the reason you go to ATA, the reason you go to SHOT is because that's where everybody is. So you can knock out your however many sponsorship deals in one weekend. Oh, what's the difference between what I just described and what you just described? Oh, well, the, the difference is, is that you're not setting up meetings. You'd just be walking up to a booth saying, hey, I'm Matt. Oh, oh okay. And, it's more and I want to use your, your dough asterisk. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's more formal than that. It's correct. It, there, yeah. There's meetings set up that t- you're not going, yeah, you're not going showing up and uh, you know, just, just throwing stuff up against the wall. You're going there for a specific reason. That's to meet with potential sponsors and then closing that. I, I, I'd go like, what if you went and you had a booth and you were somebody that, uh, you were an as- aspiring hunting show sponsor and um, like you had a bunch of huge freaking heads and you're like, it's you signs point to them. We shot this on camera. We shot that one on camera. And you're like just some beefy dude. Like maybe you oil up your muscles and wear like a tank top and then you got your babe wife next to you. Would they then come up and be like, Hey, we want to, you think they would then come up? <laughs> so there are a lot of guys that actually do that. I mean, not necessarily in that exact way, but there are a lot of people who have the financial means to pay for the airtime and pay for their own production. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of hunting shows get started. Yeah, They fund it all themselves. And then they're around trying to get sponsors and it's guys in, you know, outfits that they're probably 20 years too old for walking mm-hmm. around tan frosted tips in the hair, <laughs> you know, talking about how they're going to smoke. I have to laugh or else I'd cry. I mean, <laughs> I just, Oh, I just hate it. I just hate it. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. I mean, oh, I just, it started out so pure for me. Ken, I know we're talking about your story, but just a brief digression. And then we're going to get back to it. I started out, man, little kid, catching crawdads, shooting squirrels and bunnies, and it was just so pure, and it was done solely for the love of it, and it wasn't about making a statement about yourself, and it certainly wasn't about trying to make, become an idol so that people would, uh, to people so that they would buy what, what, what you which you instructed them to buy, you know, right. it's just, it's just so frustrating that whole thing. I'm so glad I've never gone to shot shots. Show. I, I mean, maybe that's what it takes. 
maybe hunting just gets a little bit like maybe maybe instead of trying to save hunting i should just go to shot show once and then re- realize i have no interest in hunting anymore i mean that's a different world and shot show is really a firearms convention the the outdoor industry kind of piggybacks on it mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it's a it's in las vegas right yeah it's a you know yeah everything gets a little perverted and even the most the most purest <laughs> people and things get a little perverted in las vegas i suppose yeah, so but- yeah what else about i mean that we're we're gonna get back to your your journey as an outdoorsman and we're gonna clear up i'm 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 eager to clear up a couple misconceptions you that i feel that you have about my stance which is going to be it's going to require me to sweat a little bit because it's so nuanced and and you have some points that i think are valid that and I want that that I want to like try to flesh out with you about where where you think I stand and how easily I could see you thinking I think that and which is good. So it's going to require me to refine my stance a little bit. I think will be good. But yeah, anything more about the hunting, the hunting shows? I mean, what do you want to know? Uh, did you see any 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 deception? So this is something that you bring up pretty regularly. And I know that it's a specific gripe that you have where um, animal loss isn't being shown on camera. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's the ultimate catch 22 that renders hunting entertainment immoral because you, no matter what you do, you're hurting somebody. Yeah. Lying. You know, so when you're, when, I mean, inherently, and and I think this has been discussed on previous episodes, but, um, whenever you're making a television show, it doesn't matter what it may be. It has to be edited down to fit a certain time block. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be things that are left out. And, you know, I think that, I think that you're bringing up a good point. It's like, you can't, you can't leave out the most important thing that happened on that hunt um that's a really good argument now yeah nobody's leaving out when they nobody's leaving out wound loss because there's there's not time for to show that part i mean that's not why they leave it out but i mean when you look at all the dumb shit that happens on your typical hunting show the stupid conversations and like them sitting in the blind for freaking 15 minutes, you know, talking about the most inane crap on the planet. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, we had that was vital. That was vital footage. We couldn't show the wound loss. We didn't have time. Yeah. You know? So that so when, just seemed in, pretty weak to me. Yeah. I mean, I was never in the editing room and I didn't go on any of those hunts. So I didn't see what happened, but I definitely know that there were probably times when animals were wounded, lost, and, you know, in the course of however many days, and it's like, we got to get, we got to get one on camera. There was a lot, there was a lot of talk about, you know, towards the end of the week, if somebody hadn't, you know, 
gotten what they came there to, to do, there was a little bit of pressure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There were, yeah. There were never really any requirements. And, and in fact, I can say wholeheartedly, there were never any requirements from sponsors to have a certain number of animals killed on camera. Mm-hmm. But it's it's widely known if you're not killing animals on camera, no one's going to watch your show. Right. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not main, might might not be explicit, but it's implicit that you better be shooting some shit. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to lose your sponsors because no one's watching and it's like, yeah, yeah. Move on. Yeah. Like that's why I just did this, this is, this podcast is an experiment to see how many people I can wake up to see what they're to show and get to appreciate what they're supporting when they watch, you know, what they're feeding into when they watch hunting TV. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, your call, um, your call to hunters to unfollow hunting social media. You know, I thought long and hard about, well, not long, but I thought about it and felt like that was the right decision for me. I unfollowed. Um, it's something that really doesn't benefit me as a hunter. Um, it doesn't add to my experience. So I let it go. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about you made a, you, you became pretty committed to getting into hunting a little bit after, uh, listening to, my brother and Joe Rogan on the on the Joe Rogan experience. Yep. Tell me, yeah, just lay out how you proceeded from there. So when you were talking earlier about how when you were a little kid, you were, you know, hunting from a very, very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a cumulative effect of all those years you spent as a youth hunting all the way up into, you know, early adulthood and to now. Um, where you're probably taking a ton of things for granted that you just know because you've experienced them and you spent your entire life doing it. Um, yeah, you're probably right. I often think what's so hard about it, get a bow, shoot it, shoot some arrows or a gun and then go out and be quiet and sit in the woods, (laughs) but you're probably right. So, so for you, you know, at age you know, 38, I think I got started, um, for you picking a bow, picking a gun, picking an arrow, picking what you're going to hunt. You just, you, you just know, you know where to go, you know, what rules to follow, you know, how to get a license, you know, what a tag is like. I mean, I just didn't have that. off all that stuff like that. I could see where it'd be it's overwhelming. Overwhelming. I, the, and, the closest thing I can come to that feeling that you must have had was when I moved to Montana when I was 28 and just didn't understand the regulations, that had no idea about, never hunted elk, didn't know about, you know, how do you go about safely doing a backpacking trip in the mountains to hunt? Just, yeah, just a. A babe, a babe in the woods. When I when I started, I didn't know that you. I didn't know that you would got a deer in the woods. I oh. didn't know that. Okay. Like that's how little understanding I had of hunting. Sure. I didn't know that that was a thing. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, um, how would why would you know that if? In, yeah. yeah, and until I don't know, I was in my probably in my thirties. I mean, this is kind of embarrassing to say, but it's true. Like I didn't, I didn't know that there were, um, wanton waste laws. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I thought the majority of people just shot deer in the woods, cut their head off and hung them on the wall. I had no clue that people were required by law to take me. And I wasn't interested in that. Yeah. I'm still really not that interested in, in, um, you always, or you say go go afield for personal satisfaction, horns, hide, and meat. Mm-hmm. The horns and the hide for me are kind of not really why I do it, but the other two for sure. Yeah, it's not that I don't want any part of it. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a couple of, um, you know, a couple European bounce mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. but um, we'll shot on private. <laughs> yeah um i don't have a problem with shooting stuff on private land well i guess what i'm trying to protect is a is a is what i grew up with where you could have decent hunting without so that you know a lot of times you can hunt private fishing private land without paying paying for it so that that's I, I don't think it's necessarily to your detriment that you shot these deer on, on private land. I know you do have a hunting lease. I do. Yeah. Um and that is another thing I've worried about is that I think that people are being brought into hunting through media and they're leasing up land. So that's a concern for me. Um, and I just, with, there's a lot of people saying a lot of things about hunting out there in the world. Everybody's got their opinion. And on this, my podcast is a place for people that, 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 no matter what they think, I guess I will talk to anybody, but at the end of the day, the host is the sort of hunting that the host is concerned about and has started this podcast to have a conversation about and protect is the kind of hunting that doesn't require paying for access. So, I don't, I'm not angry at anybody that has a hunting lease. I, I, um, would fight for your legal right to, um, to enter into a hunting lease and the landowner's right to accept money for leasing his land. But I am just trying to put out there that. I I tend to think that it's that it's in many many situations it's robbing opportunity for other people. Yeah, um, clearly in states that have public access programs. 
such as the state I live in, where people that lease hunting land are in direct competition with uh, programs that are financed through hunting license fees that allow everybody to hunt. Right. That's an important distinction, I think. I, uh, I, I, I know that there's the North American model of wildlife management and not everybody is in adherent to that. I, it's pretty sacred to me, not because it's received wisdom. It's not like it was that model was handed down to me. And I said, okay, this, I guess is what, I, this is what I'm, I'm charged with believing as a hunter. It's because I look at it and it makes sense to me. And the bit about democracy and hunting to me is pretty sacrosanct, sacrosanct, whatever that word is. Uh, it's sacred. Um, I, so that's what, what I'm trying to, trying to protect and have a conversation about is that sort of, that mode of hunting that doesn't require paying for access. One thing you yeah. saw, one thing you you talked about in your one of your emails to me was that you one impetus for entering into a hunting lease was safety. Yeah. So tell me a little, little bit about that. So I, I live in Nashville and the closest wildlife management area that you can hunt that I know of is Cheatham County or yeah, Cheatham County WMA. And it's pretty crowded. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, for me, just not knowing, not knowing the regulations inside and out, um, not really knowing the regulations that are specific to the W the wallet. Yeah. There, there, there are some of those. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then also sort of unwritten cultural rules that I don't know. Um, oh, I see. Yeah. That, that, uh, you know, you'll hear. And if you talk to 10 different guys, they've all got 10 different rules, you know, yeah. that are just, man, you never do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I could see that being intimidating. Yeah. But I, I don't, I mean, I, and when I talk to these people or when I talk to people who have been hunting their entire lives, um, or I've, I've run into this, oftentimes they're following, um, what they've grown up doing, whether it's in another state, then they've moved to Tennessee, whether it's, you know, what they've done there. And a lot of times I find that they don't, um, <laughs> maybe they're not following the rules sometimes yeah, I, i'm sure and um you know maybe they're not following uh you know proper safety and so for me and I've, I've been out there once um and it was really crowded and i was hunting deer yep yep and um you know i had scouted the the property several times before which i really enjoyed and then when i showed up there were cars there started to walk you know sort of to where i thought i was going to go guy posted up 
And I didn't know whether I should walk by him. Like, can I walk in front of him and just say, Hey, I'm going to go a little bit further. Are there going to be more guys down there? Am I just going to be running in and ruining people's hunts? So I just backed out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and ended up, you know, hunting probably like 50 yards off the road. Cause it's like, well, yeah, maybe the pressure will, you know, everybody, everybody in Tennessee says on pressure, you know, hunt hunters pressure right. rather than the deer. So I was like, yeah, all right, maybe I'll stick by the, by the road. Um, didn't see anything, still enjoyed myself. It was still great. It was a beautiful day, but man, it felt a little unsafe at times for me. In contrast, I've been to Wyoming several times hunting elk. That's a completely different feeling because it's so vast. Mm-hmm. And even though you know, I've been out on opening weekend and you see a lot of trucks, you see a lot of orange, but at the same time, there's just so much room and so much space. You can get away from people. Um, and you would probably laugh because I'm sure me getting away from people and you getting away from people are probably two different things. Did you see you prob- elk? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to disentangle the two. I mean, if you didn't, it, it if you did, if you if you didn't see any elk, then maybe there was too many people around. Could have been, or maybe I'm just not good. You know, maybe I need more time in the woods. I have. There's a place that I hunt where I haven't been in there in a few years, but it's a place I go kind of late in archery season in Montana. So I, the, the part, the reason it's relevant that I haven't been there in a few years is that the hunting pressure is increasing dramatically in Montana and maybe now it's not this way anymore, but I would go in there in October, which is way, you know, bow season starts in early September. And when I show up, it was like a seven mile hike in there. You know, when I'd show up, there'd be some years to be 250, 300 elk in this one basin. And within three days, there'd be none. And these group, these are elk aren't all grouped up in one group. There's like little patches here and there. But in, in over the course of three days, I'd be able to, I just working these elk as carefully as I could, doing everything I could to, to sneak up on them and not pressure them too hard. There'd be none. So I think that there's a very good chance that the reason you didn't see any elk is because you were dealing with the ghost of hunting past. You know, somebody had been in there, or many people had been in there uh, prior to you going in there. Yeah. I mean, that definitely could be a piece of it. I mean, I know that there are elk there, tons of sign. And then you'd also see other hunters that have been successful. That's another, I mean, okay. The, that, that you saw there's hunters right around there. that was successful. That's, that's, you know, that's showing, yeah, there's still, it wasn't so pressured that they were not there, but I, when I see a ton of sign and no elk, I take that as a sign that there's been a lot of hunters around. Yeah. I mean, well, and there definitely were. Yeah. Like that's, that's to me is pretty, pretty convincing evidence that there's been a lot of hunter <laughs> pressure. There's a ton of sign. And no elk, because 
you know, if you're hunting within a month or two of season, the sign, a lot of the sign is still around, you know, a month right. or two when the season started. Uh, hey, there is a, a baby monitor on in this room I'm recognizing. I don't know if you're hearing that. No, I'm not picking up on that. <laughs> Can I turn it off real quick? You got a baby? A uh, three-year-old, but we use the baby monitor 10, 7, and 3. I yeah, got a, go ahead. Wide, wide, wide variety. also got a chair no what were you what were you doing doing were you in a squat position or something so i thought we, we had I changed mean, times already, here i can see you from your boobs up yeah they're beautiful aren't they they are they are very perky <laughs> uh what do you mean so what do you mean you were have a chair now i so here's what the audience doesn't know uh, that is a beautiful microphone. Holy crap. I got to get me one like that. Like that's, that's legit. It's a day old. I got it for this. You did. Oh yeah, dude. And that's see. Yeah. That warms my heart, man. You took I want to make sure you're getting the, the absolute best audio quality I can give you. <laughs> I want this to be successful because I do. I believe in the, I, I believe you've, through our conversations and email, you definitely changed my mind on a few things for sure. Yeah. We, we need to talk about when you, we first, when we, we first started communicating and now I understand it better have talking to you for a few minutes. It, it, I got the impression that it, and at the time I didn't know if it was sincere, but I got the impression in our emails that you felt like, I was creating an unwelcoming atmosphere for people, for new hunters like yourself. Yeah. I mean, when fucking that, I could see why that you would think that I could see why, but let me give you, let me, I've been thinking about this a little bit on and off all day, how I would talk about, cause that was some lines in your email led me to believe like, I, you know, I really, it's, it's hard to take that you wish I hadn't started hunting. You'd say things like that. Yeah. Which those lines would take me aback when I'd read them. And I'm like, is that what I'm, is that what I'm doing? And when I'm trying to, the line I'm trying to walk is a fine, fine line. And it's so tough. And I got to get, I'm, I've got to get better at articulating my stance here. But one thing, one thing I, I can say with a great deal of certainty is that the instant somebody becomes a hunter, they're in my sphere of concern. And the part of you that hunts places that everybody else can hunt without pulling out their billfold that the part that that part of you as a hunter is the part i'm trying to protect i don't like the leasing bit but you know i got you um but every all of your hunting that you do that is 
uh, egalitarian type of hunting on public land or banging on doors or how all of that, that, that is what I'm trying to protect. That's what I'm concerned about. That's what I think is going away. That's what I think is being destroyed. And I don't, I don't, I mean, there's a way, yeah, there's a way in which I could say, yeah, I wish I was the only one that hunted. I wish everybody supported hunting, but I was the only one that did it. And there's an element of truth to that sentiment. But at the same time, I can hold that in in my hand and have that be something that's kind of in a way true. But then on the other hand, I have a lot of love in my heart for my fellow hunters that do it for the right reasons, the high, in your case, which is more pure than mine, the meat and the personal satisfaction. You know, you don't even have the hide and the horns in there, which which I tend to somehow convolutedly legitimize in my mind. But that's that's what i'm trying to protect is that's what i'm concerned about and i don't care i don't care at all how long somebody's been hunting i'm not trying to protect something this this thing that i love that i believe is being destroyed for only for people that have been hunting a long time i don't give a yeah. shit about how long people been hunting i i don't i i I don't feel compelled to protect to try to protect it from people that are engaged in the sorts of activities that i believe are destroying it you know if but uh so if i mean people say to about i hear on hunt forums and i've had people email me and say who are you to say what the right reasons for being a hunter are or what, yeah. What's the right, what are virtuous reasons for being a hunter? Like it's America. Aren't I entitled to say what I think the virtuous reasons are? And if I want to start a podcast and talk about what I think the right reasons and the wrong reasons are, wouldn't it be, I mean, am I, am I not entitled to do that? So I, I, I don't know what to do with that when people say you 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 don't have like who are you to say what the right reasons are? Well, I, I'm pretty easy to avoid. Just don't listen to my podcast, you know. Yeah. But yeah. if you want, if that's something, I mean, what what you're going to find here is somebody that's having conversations with other hunters about how do we protect this thing that I think is under grave threat. That being hunting that's accessible to everybody without having to pay for access. Um, and I don't care if you just bought your first shotgun or bow last week, or you're like me and you've been doing it since you were itty bitty kid. Does, does that help at all? Can no, I could well. So my I No, I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I think that when it comes to hunt forums and things like that, 
I mean, everybody's, everybody acts different behind a keyboard than they do in real life. So the conversations that are happening online are always, you know, just very, very different than conversations that you have in person. Mm-hmm. Um, com- while to not be deeply hurt about things that I was reading about myself. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Um, I, I don't know, man. It, it, to me, it's now it's, I just, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting some righteous indignation now. I, I, like as time goes on and I get become more of because what this podcast is doing is it's allowing me to learn about things that are even more disgusting than I ever even knew existed when I started it. So now right. I'm just like dripping with righteousness. And I, the idea that I'm controversial is such an eye roller to me. How am I the controversial one? When you have pe- freaking tons of people that poach stuff to make TV. Right. And shoot 10 times more than they could ever eat in a year to keep their Instagram feed going. And these are the heroes in hunting. These are the right. mainstream people. And I'm controversial. I don't, I don't understand that. And I just don't have any patience for it. But anyway, I'm I'm starting to go on my like that one of my five or six repeating narratives. So go ahead. So with me, when when I first heard you start talking about this, the thing that I heard, and it wasn't that I, I did feel like your message was I don't want you hunting, which you've cleared up. I get that that's not that's not what uh what you were saying, but the one thing that was really hard for me to figure out was you saying we should eliminate hunting television and Instagram, any, any, or at least I think you said that at one point, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but uh, you know, that was how, that was what drew me to hunting. That's what got me um, into the woods. And also all of this media that was online taught me and to hear you say, we should, we should um, move back towards, you know, families and friends getting people hunting. Well, I spent 38 years of my life around hunters around hunting and never was, was once taken on a hunt. So for me, it was, it was, you know, something that I've really grown to enjoy Um, something that I spend a lot of time thinking about, um, something that I spend as much time as I possibly can doing. Yeah. I just really enjoy it. And then to think the thing that, that was, was the, the thing that, that got me out there, you know, you're saying like, no, we need to go back to the old way. It's like, well, for me, the old way didn't get me out. Mm -hmm. And 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 then and then you're saying, you know, you're saying, hey, it's getting too many hunters out here in the woods. I'm like, I'm one of those guys. I'm the guy that you do not want in there. That's the way that I looked at it. Well, no more than anybody else. Like, I I, I don't care how long. No, I got it. I don't I don't care how long somebody's been hunting. Uh, I I just think that. There, I think that if somebody wants to learn how to hunt, there should be 
there should be mechanisms in place that allow them to do it. Here's how, here, here's one, here's, I, I've been, I've been trying to sharpen up my thinking on this a bit. So one way I could see it be is that produce all of the how-to content you want. Everybody, anybody. Let's just keep that all, but never a dead or dying animal. I think that that would be a great step. Um, what the goal is for me is protecting the existing hunting community that you are a member of. Yeah. I, I think that adding more hunters, well, you just described the situation that is hunting in America writ small with your experience there outside of Nashville. Yeah. There's got to be a part of you that thinks about that and can see where there might be a contingent of hunters that would be perplexed by the idea that we would, what? Want to bring more people in? Right. So the second somebody starts hunting, they're, and if they're doing it for the right reasons, there's somebody's hunting that I can that I'm concerned about, that I care about, and I want to protect. And if I could put, press a button that may be the only person that hunted, I wouldn't press it at the end of the day, even though it'd be a wonderful thing for me personally. Uh, but I don't, here, another thing is I don't, I don't think for a second, not for one second, that anybody that is trying to make there be more hunters is doing it in an all for altruistic reasons. I mean, I would agree with that. So, and I think that maybe people get started um, in the hunting industry and they think I'm going to do something a certain way and I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it differently, but ultimately what it ends up becoming is it becomes a business. And when it becomes a business, everything changes. So you've got, it means the same thing in music. You've got art and commerce, the intersection oh, of art and commerce, which is absolutely a terrible place, you know, and you, and you always see that with artists where, you know, the first album, maybe the second album are the best albums. And the reason why is because they're doing it for pure reasons or reasons that are, they're you know, for the extremely art. strong motivators. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then they sell out and then they, they start. Well, they start, you know, they get into the system and it's, they start trying to chase radio hits. They start trying to chase, you know, the money. And now all of a sudden they also lose touch with reality because they, you know, if they're successful, they end up getting a ton of money and they change. And have you um, known artists long enough to watch them go through that trajectory? No, oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, you know, I've seen artists that, uh, you know, started out, um, you know, I don't want to say too much, but an artist that started out and, and uh, you know, really happy to get in a van, uh, get in a car and drive to the next gig. And, um, you know, 15 years later, they're, uh, you know, upset about their car not being out back 
to get them to their private plane so they can get home and do whatever it is they're going to do. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that and that, I bet that happens to guys like you and me or people like you and me and others as well. And just in a different way. Totally. Like when yeah. I, was a, I was a graduate student. I was living on 1200 bucks a month and I thought I had a dick, you know, just a <laughs> tiny little apartment. I had some free time, just worked on my thesis, did a bunch of hunting. So if you now I'm a middle-aged spoiled dude, uh, with a, his own house and two car, a car and a truck and all that. If you put me back at that apartment now, I'd be like, what the fuck, bro? <laughs> Sucks. You know? Yeah. So I, I don't, this is the stupid aside, but I, I, I could see where that would happen. Yeah. And I think that that happens in the hunting industry. You know, guys will start out, you know, everybody, no one wants to work a day in their life. They want to do something that they love. They figure, well, if I'm hunting, if I'm doing this, if I'm, you know, showing people how I do this the right way, and then they start getting in there and well, now all of a sudden, this is more than profitable. This is, this is now an industry. Um, there must not be much, maybe there is, I mean, it's early in the game. We've only had hunting TV since the mid eighties, but. I just have to think that some of these folks in the hunting industry, there's got to be some people that are in the hunting industry and hunting entertainment, et cetera, that are capable of a level of self-reflection that maybe once their bread is sufficiently buttered and they're, they, 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 they've got all the money they need. Maybe they're retiring that they would go look back and be honest and say, I did a lot of damage. Yeah. I would think that there would be people that would be I, able to reflect on that. I did not improve the purity of hunting. Yeah. I definitely think there are going to be people that think that years from now, um, you know, one thing where, where I thought you were going with that was that eventually hunting television would sort of sort of run its course. You were saying, oh, we had it, we've only had it since the 80s. Like, how much longer is this going to last? Maybe people oh. just get bored of it. That's where I thought you were headed. Oh. And, my, and you weren't. Right. <laughs> but what, my, what would you have said if that had been but my, my My response that I was loading up is, is that I, I, I think it's going to get far, far worse. And the reason why is because of um, what I think has ultimately happened in the entertainment industry too, is the barriers to entry are being removed by technology. So it used to be, if you wanted to get a hunting show, you had to get, you know, production was really expensive. You had to get the, these cameras. Um, you had to get the airtime. The airtime was expensive, still is expensive relative, right? Mm -hmm. But not something that I could pay for right now out of my pocket. Um, nor would I want to, <laughs> but, but uh, um, you know, there were these barriers to entry, you know, and they were usually financial. It was the same thing in movies. It was the same thing in music, you know, to record music 20 years ago, you had to have, you know, a significant amount of money to be able to go into a studio, to be able to record 
there are exceptions to this. Back 20 years ago, there were some people that were still recording on computers and, you know, in their bedrooms, but it was very, very few people. And those systems were also quite expensive. Now, I mean, I don't know what kind of uh, computer you're talking on. I'm talking on a MacBook Pro. Like we can record music in our bedroom with a, you know, the setup we're using right now. And get pretty um, good sound quality. It gets something that gets something that would be broadcast quality. Like you could play around with it enough and you could get broadcast quality. No, and it's I'm, the same I'm thing. Change, I, I, I'm, in, I'm engaged on a quixotic, in a quixotic tw- quest to revolutionize hunting in America. And I, I'm doing it on a, a H a $400 HP from Walmart and a $50 microphone. Yeah. I ordered on Amazon. So yeah, I, I, I don't know what, how much, yeah, you probably could get good quality footage quite, quite inexpensively. Right. And so the the other thing thing is, yeah. So it's anybody that with a bow enough sense to record something and you got to kind of, and and a cell phone and a cell phone. I mean, you can get, and you got to be sexy. More yes, more. abs help. Yeah. Tan. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is that you know the distribution channels. If you wanted to get people to see your program, you had to get on one of those networks that showed hunting television shows. Um, now you can put it right up on social media. You can put it up on YouTube. You can put it up on all these different things. So there's the barrier to entry um, in the distribution side of things has been completely eliminated mm-hmm. anybody can do it if you want to release music you can release music tomorrow how many people- same with same with hunting you know you could go out and you could shoot something in your yard and post it tomorrow what percent of people wouldn't hunt if it wasn't for the ability to publicize it on tv social media i have no idea i don't know Isn't it, yeah I vacillate when I'm pessimistic. I think it's 20%. And when I'm optimistic, I think it's 1%. I mean, I think that there's definitely a group of people that go out um, and want to film their hunts and want to show everybody what they're doing. And, and, and I think that they're also thinking that there may be, you know, sponsorship dollars at the end of that showcase, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Um, and you can kind of see that when people are posting with, um, specifically on Instagram, when they're hashtagging different sponsors, you know, they're trying to get, they're trying to widen their reach. They're trying to attract the attention of somebody. They're not just showing it to their friends. They want other people to see it. I think for every person that kind of becomes successful following that model there's probably 20 or more people that are trying to become successful following that model what would be your definition of successful in that situation okay i guess because i'll give you a better i'll give you i'll give you a more accurate ratio well i don't think they're getting i don't think they're (laughs) okay i let's say success is you're getting you're getting a fair bit of, you're getting a fair bit of swag, and a lot of likes. 
maybe you got 5,000 followers and you get a, you get a new backpack every year and some clothes that, so yeah, that'd be, that'd be the bare minimum that I would consider successful. Then you're probably right. It's probably one out of one out of every hundred. Um, to actually generate, let's say $10,000 off that, off of your hunting Instagram, it's probably more like one out of every, I don't know, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. It's going to be a really low percentage of people that end up making actual money right. doing it. Right. Now it's pretty easy to get gear. Um, these companies will hand out gear. They, they, they look at somebody and if they've got, you know, 5,000 followers on Instagram, 10,000 followers, they're looking at those as micro influencers. And that's actually where these companies are starting to divert most of their advertising dollars. They're getting away from hunting television, which is great news, but it's <laughs> yeah, terrible news. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible news. Yeah. Like money and money and hunting television is drying up. Um, oh, or at least it's shifting. Like, it's shifting. Like cable, like cables going away. Exactly. And it's part of cable. Yeah. They'll probably go digital. Won't they eventually? I mean, won't they? They'll just, they'll just be like these hunting channels. Yeah. They'll move to a streaming model. Everything's moving to streaming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But hunting companies aren't They're They're getting away from, I had a conversation last week. Uh, with somebody and I asked him how, how things were going in hunting television. He works pretty, he works very closely in that industry. And he said, Ken, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. He said, there's no money. It's drying up. He mentioned two different, uh, two different shows that had title sponsors five years ago that had two and a half million dollars a piece dumped into them. And when those contracts expired, they were both being offered 50 G's. Oh. So it went from, Yeah. So it's, I mean, like hunting television is like the money's moving online. Right. It's not that people are losing interest. It's just that they're mm -hmm. watching it on YouTube. They're watching it in other places. Yeah. I interviewed Randy Newberg a while back and he was saying that there's a very good chance that, that YouTube is going to make it so that you can't post dead and dying game. He said it had something to do with it being a paid, a, a user pay model or something. I don't understand all the. Yeah. I mean, everybody's, you know, there's, so at home I've got YouTube TV. So all of my television is essentially streamed, but it's broadcast, you know, television cable channels, but it's through YouTube. Um, I've noticed where I've seen where you can, and I've done this a couple of times where you can rent a movie from YouTube. Yeah. So if you have YouTube TV, does that mean you pay some monthly fee and you get all Correct. the content? Correct. Yeah. Without the there, ads. What's that? Without the ads. No, you still have the ads. Like in live television, so it's for live television. So what instead of your, what about when you're with this fancy YouTube you got when you're just watching um, old videos of your favorite rock bands or the other night I was watching All in the Family with my mom. Is there ads then? Uh, I mean, through YouTube TV, yeah. Okay. I mean, you can get a, there's also a DVR. And I mean, this is not something that I'm extremely knowledgeable on. I'm literally just a, you know, a subscriber to YouTube TV. I have no intimate knowledge of what they're doing. Man, but on I a whole, a YouTube junkie. I just yeah, it's amazing. Watch, I just watch so much shit on there. 
and it's yeah and i like to watch mm i like my you'd be perplexed you'd think that i have uh some a split personality disorder if you looked at you know because you know if you got on my youtube you'd be like, what you know you'd see all the stuff that gets getting recommended you know and be mma fighting and philosophy and how to tie a knot you know <laughs> how, how to start your uh how to start your makita to, uh string trimmer <laughs> yeah. But, uh yeah i i i yeah i imagine it's just the same thing that's happening to fox and msnbc and yeah i, I read today i i was curious because my my mom and my stepdad, you know where I'm staying, they just marinate in Fox News all day. It's never not on. And I was like, how is this what the typical household in the Midwest, like the atmosphere? So I just, I got curious and I typed, I, I typed it. I asked, what is the median? I asked for the mean, but they gave me the median age of a cnn and and or no msnbc and fox no paul you're good you're you're good sorry listening audience that was my stepdad um he thought he had the tube up too loud he thought he had fox news up too loud (laughs) uh so what do you think they what do you think msnbc and and Fox median age. Fox median age would have to be sixty-three. Okay, M- MSNBC fifty-five. Oh, you man, see, you're yeah, you're in the know. It was it's sixty-five and sixty. So okay, yeah, close. Do you know all about this? Do you know so much about this stuff? I know a little bit about it uh, from your job. There are people that know more about it than me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I started out in television and film, then worked in comedy. So I was in Los Angeles for eight years and then moved to Nashville in 2008. Oh, wow. And that's when I moved to Nashville is when I started working in music. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have a unique, a unique perspective. That's what's so cool about the hunting community is that we're all so passionate about hunting but we also have these day jobs that are so varied yeah hunters come from a wide variety of backgrounds Um, but then we all our interests coalesce around this one thing even though on a day-to-day basis in our jobs we think about such different things i think that's really cool yeah and when i got into the entertainment business i i I sort of made a decision i wanted to I got into it, you know, you graduate college and you think, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And I really wanted to do something that was going to affect social change. Felt like there were things that needed to be done, you know. And so it was either politics or the arts. And I really felt like there was always a revolution in the arts before there was politically. So I was like, well, I'm going to work in the, I'm going to work in film. I'm going to work in movies. And then I started working and I found out very quickly. <laughs> The intersection of art and commerce again. It's like this is not mm-hmm. at all. This is not uh, not what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is kind of sad because I used to, I mean, I loved movies. Um, and I don't love them anymore. So is it, was it that you were operating on a outdated model of how the world works? Cause you know, like they used to, with, with the visual arts, they have had an impact on society and the way we think about things a lot of times. And they, and they do, yeah. they, they absolutely do. And I, and I love to see great pieces of art, make it through that meat grinder mm-hmm. and come out on the other side. Um, but when you're, when you're in it and you see how it's being done, um, and you see the great art being ruined along the way, uh, by people who aren't artists, they're, you know, executives that think that they're artists or think that they're going to be able to shape this in a way that's more, you know, appealing to certain, you know, a certain demographic and sell more money. It's just, it's probably very similar to how you, um, see, with the, with the small glimpse you've had into, or maybe significant glimpse you've had into hunting television, you see how it's being done. And you're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. My exposure through meat eater, my, you know, a little bit of involvement over the years, just being on shows meteor. I know I'm, I know that those folks have a lot of integrity and there's still some shady shit that's gone on from time to time. So I just can't imagine what goes on um, with people that don't have much integrity. And then you get, you get little, you get little glimpses once in a while. Once you start to look at it, you get little glimpses behind the curtain a little bit when they're getting, these people are getting prosecuted for egregious game violations. Oh yeah. I've been saying that I could poach the rest of my life easily and never get caught. I mean, it's just not that hard to poach and not get caught. Right. So if I just had this, well, the podcast that just aired. Yeah. I don't know if you would with, with uh, Jim Durkin. Did you? Yeah, listen I listened to, to it. So that those eight or 10 or whatever we talk about there, people have yeah. busted. It shows you how many people there must be that are doing illegal stuff to generate footage. I've got a good. <laughs> I, I've got a cra- yeah, I've got a crazy one that I won't I, I won't get into detail on, but I'll I'll send to you afterwards. It was a music, uh, it was an artist that went on a. Uh, Wait, when you say you won't, you'll send it to me. There was they got there was an article about it. So he shot this for kind of like a television show, but it really wasn't TV. I don't know if he was trying to get TV. I don't know what it was, but he ended up. Um. He ended up shooting with an with with a bow a bear in a one acre enclosure. Oh, and he and, he just and so like it was a wild bear. And so this was my yeah oh totally yeah and he he was he he got in trouble for it, but um and then it came out and the video footage 
um, ended up coming out. And uh, I remember the day that I got a call from that artist manager and he said, Hey, we need to get that footage off the internet. <laughs> I'm like, can't because, do it <laughs> because the yeah the um word had gotten out the video had gotten out and it was everywhere on the internet it was like we need to take this down and i'm like well oh so it wasn't that it got put up as a legit no hunt and no he got he got found out it wasn't it, he got busted and then a and then a an animal rights uh an animal rights organization sued, used Freedom of Information Act to, to get the footage, and then they posted it. That's when the story really blew up. And uh, I was like, we need to get this down. <laughs> I got bad news. <laughs> I got real bad news. Yeah. It's going to live forever. Too late. Yeah. Too late. Like, like that kid that just went on that spray in Texas. You know about yeah, he, I know that. He, well, yeah, I know you know about it. What was the name of that Avaldi? Yeah, yeah. Where he was, he live streamed it. And, so did the guy in Buffalo at that grocery store. Oh, and and they caught it like they caught it so freaking fast, but still, it was already archived. People had already captured it. You know. Yep. Um, there's actually an article about there's an article about um, the the team at Facebook and the employees that actually go through um, all the footage that's being uploaded and all the live streams that are being done and the emotional scarring they have from what they see that they suppress that they're like, OK, this can't go on Facebook. Huh. I'll send you that article too. Super that, interesting. That, oh, I'd love to see that. Where was that published? I can't remember. Wow. The way that works is footage gets flagged somehow. It's a is it a mixture of like people reporting it and machine learning algorithms. Yeah. And then, so and they do they're like these are these are clips that we got to look into because they somehow got flagged correct and, and they got to make the final determination correct and these people are scarred by what they've seen yeah so i mean yeah that yeah i don't i don't know what you do about i don't know what you do about somebody that shoots a bear in a cage uh, my my solution is in principle quite simple. I'm just appealing on good-hearted folks that care about the future of hunting to not follow, not watch hunting media. I, like I say, I I could fully get behind. If we need how-to content, then generated at will but just the litmus test is what you don't what you don't need to have a dead or dying animal on there but there's always going to be people that are doing stupid shit like that and there's always going to be people that are willing to look at it right 
So I don't, yeah, I don't know what to, what you could do about that. Maybe, maybe in time. Well, I've heard, it wasn't just Randy Newberg. I heard, I heard another conversation. I think maybe with Joe Rogan and my brother about how there's that it might become against policy to put dead and dying animals on YouTube. I don't know. Maybe it might be. I mean, they change their policies. YouTube changes their policies. If they don't change them on a daily basis, it's almost, I mean, it's all the time they're making tweaks to it. Mm -hmm. They're changing their algorithm. They're changing their focus. Um, And I mean, I, I would be shocked if there isn't, if there aren't um, hunting videos that have been pulled down off of YouTube oh, I, due to, yeah. you know, certain content. So, I mean, I think that in a certain sense, it's probably already being policed, but yeah, at a certain point, if they took, you know, any, any of those dead or dying animals off YouTube, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Wasn't it, didn't hunting shows in the early days not show like when they were on broadcast TV on Sunday morning or Saturday morning or whatever it was, didn't they cut away from the kill shot? Mm. I seem to remember that when I was a kid and like seeing it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's been so long since I've watched those old shows. That'd be a great thing to look into. That's I'm going to put that on my to-do list. Um, I mean, I seem to think I read bear footage or, or yeah. Art Laha, or I don't know about Buckmasters was the first cable hunting TV show in in the mid eighties. That'd be an, that'd be an interesting thing. That would be an, a very interesting to look into and see if it's gotten much more explicit. I mean, there's a continuum there. Like, uh, there's an infinite number of possibilities. You could you could not show it at all. You could pan away very quickly. You could focus the camera. Or in editing, focus in on the arrow entering the animal. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to have a better sense. I mean, I get it. I get the appeal. I don't know what it is about human beings that want to see that. A lot of human beings. But I I love hunting TV. I love watching it. I I just don't allow myself to because... I'm trying to control my impulses and do what's right for the future of hunting, but uh, yeah, I'd love to know if back in the day they they didn't they panned away. So projectile going in. Oh, we were on an interesting thread before this that I had another question about, but I can't. Think. Um. Well, anything else that we should chit-chat about? Man. For the first half of this, I wasn't in a chair. Yeah. Well. Some might... So here's what, here's what, here's what the audience doesn't know. Uh, or your listener doesn't know I like is that uh, which is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to help me with that. I'm going to totally you're help gonna, you with you're it. You're going to get me up to you're going to quadruple it. Me up yeah, to- you're going to have a booth at Chacha next year, <laughs> January. <laughs> that would be hilarious. 
Um, <laughs> no, but we had originally scheduled this for a certain time and it was mountain. And then you didn't realize that you were going to be traveling, I guess, or maybe you did. Yeah. And I thought and my then computer you, was still registering mountain time. but And was. so then you sent, uh, so then you sent me a new time and I said, okay, cool. And then I literally just happened to walk in at the originally scheduled time to check to see, because my phone was on the charger and I do not get very good cell reception here. Uh-huh. And you were calling. And uh, I was like, I bet he wants to do this right now. He's like, and you, that's exactly what you said. You said, I was planning on doing this right now. Could you do it right now? And I said, give me, give me a second. I am so sorry about that, man. I've been so It doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, I mean, I, I was, I was a little bit, uh, I probably came out of the gate a little bit slow and maybe maintained uh, a steady pace the entire time. I don't know how I did. Oh, but, I, um, I think this has been great. I learned a lot. I freaking learned a lot. I could, I'm hoping I get you back on again to talk about some more of this stuff. Um, I feel like now that I know more about your background, I could put together a different set of questions for you. Yeah. Um, I don't. But I had because I was because I, I was like I, I don't always feel this way with people that I interview. I and mean, this is I think this might be my twentieth interview, which is eye popping to me. I feel yeah. like I'm getting a little better at it too. I don't say um quite as much. And I don't sure. Like quite as much, and I don't interrupt people quite as much. So I feel like so in a way I feel like I've done a fair number of interviews because I do feel like I'm getting somewhat better at it, but I can't believe I don't, I've done 20, but I, and I was going to say is I don't always, I don't always feel like, like I love hunting with other people, even though I probably do half or more of my hunting alone, but yeah, I could see, I, I think you and I'd probably have a blast if you and I went hunting. Yeah, man. So I'd do it. Keep, keep me in mind if you ever want to come out. To, have you ever hunted in Montana? Not Montana. Only Wyoming is the only Western hunt that I've had. Okay. And I've been there three times. And you just by yourself? No, no. So I was invited out by a, a mutual friend. Um, the, the first time was... Yeah, yeah. Um, he's like... You know, he just said, he's like, I, I met him and uh, he said, man, if you ever want to come out, I've got a place. Like I go, he's like, that's all I do all fall is I just, I hunt. It's like, you can come out here. We'll get you a an elk. Like, I'll put you on an elk. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. So I put in for a tag and drew my first year, the first, first year I put in and it was a cow tag. But uh, it didn't matter to me, and it didn't matter in the long run because I didn't see an elk. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's been very instrumental. In, or I mean, you got you got to shoot a couple of antelope, and yeah, yeah. It's I mean, yeah. Western hunts are. I mean, that's so when you're talking about hunting, and then I think about the hunting that I do here in Tennessee. I know. I've experienced a little bit more of just the landscape that you're hunting compared to what I'm doing on my 50 acre lease outside of Nashville. It's like totally different, totally different thing. Though there, though I do hunting that 
you would think is very reminiscent of the hunting you do in Nashville. Really? As well. Yes. I, I like, in Montana. Yes. Like along the rivers. Okay. You know, down in the river bottoms where there's egg land and, and cottonwood forests. It's, you know, you're sitting in a tree stand, um, next to a deer runway. Yeah. So I still love that. I still love sitting in a tree stand. Um, I, I, yeah, of course I'm captivated by the mountain hunting thing. I love hanging out with my llamas up in the mountains, but I also very much love sitting in a tree stand waiting for a deer to come by and seeing all the stuff like the squirrels and the skunks and the raccoons and the mink pheasants and all that yeah you know when you sit still in the woods it's just amazing all the stuff that comes out and you get to watch and see yeah i saw a couple years ago i saw there was a a a bobcat came in under my tree stand and then a little while later this little mule deer buck came in and the bobcat was sitting on a stump and the mule deer went over and they touched noses. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I like I like stuff like that where you see two animals of different species kind of interact. Like there's a video where this I think it's a I'm gonna screw this up. I know it, but I thought it I my mind it it was a badger and a coyote. The species could be wrong, but no, you got it right. I know the video you're talking oh, about. Oh, you did? Oh, I did. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? Yeah, amazing? it's like a, yeah, it's like a culvert. Like, and they, yeah, the, the the coyote is trying to help the badger figure yeah, out like, how to go through the culvert. Yeah, he like waits for him. I just love stuff like that. It's so human. You know, yeah. it'd be one thing if they were of the same ilk, but they've somehow formed this connection, even though they're totally different species. Like there's oh. some concern there. He's concerned for his buddy. That's so totally. Weird. I'll tell you the thing when I first, when I first started hunting and I, my, it was the first antelope that I shot. Um, Cause it, usually antelope are sort of like in a little herd. I mean, they can, you know, you can obviously find them sort of, but they're I've usually often, like paired I've up. I've noticed that or said that they're the most random. You can see a doe with a doe. Doe with six does. Yeah. Doe with a fawn. A fawn with a buck. <laughs> they, yeah. There's no rhyme or reason to who they hang out. You know the. And and I mean I was just absolutely amazed by that. And so I shot I shot my first antelope and man they all hung around. Oh. And it was it was tough. I mean my least favorite part is the actual kill. My favorite part is definitely in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, when that, yeah, that hung I, around, I, I was I, like, "Oh, I've seen that." It's bad with moose, and it's bad with doll sheep. The lingering, yeah, they're just like, "What happened?" Mm-hmm. I don't like that either. Um, well, yeah. uh, I I think we should probably. Uh, uh wrap her up for the night but this has been such a great conversation 
I, you, what I got, I got a, a lot out of this conversation. The big thing was, I can't, I, I always have my epiphanies in conversation. I, I have my epiphanies in conversation more, and my new insights in conversation more than I have like when I'm reflecting by myself alone. And so that was my best, that was my best iteration of trying to explain where I am with new hunters. Yeah. Um, but I'm, you're part of the hunting community and I'm trying to believe it or not. I think you believe it. I'm trying to get other. No, no I totally do. I, I'm looking out. I'm trying to look out for folks like you, except when you're hunting your 50 acre lease. Then I then I hope you fall out of your goddamn tree. But... <laughs> All right, Ken. Thanks for coming right. on. Have a good. Thank day. you. You too.